How do I charge a car? Can I charge it in the rain? How far can I drive? Electric car? What's a power grid? Is V2G possible? What is V2G? Do I get free parking for my EV? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Electric Avenue, a podcast about the electric mobility revolution and new energy economy as seen from our perspective out here in Central and Eastern Europe. I'm your host, Aaron Fishbone, Public Policy Director at e-mobility charging services provider Greenway, based in Bratislava, Slovakia. In our last episode, we discussed some of the major policy developments affecting the electric vehicle charging landscape in Europe, such as the European Green Deal, the next-generation EU green recovery package from the COVID pandemic, and especially the ongoing revision of the AFID, or Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive. But for the rest of the episode, we're mostly going to call it AFID or AFID, because otherwise we'd spend half the episode saying Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive, Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Directive, and it would add a lot more time. So let's not do that. We're going to call it AFID from now on. I cannot stress enough how important these policy measures are and have been, especially the AFID. In terms of setting the direction for market players and regulators and member states and creating the policy environment in which electric vehicle charging will grow and flourish in the years to come. Nonetheless, even among those who support the growth of e-mobility, there are differences of opinion. Okay, it's done. And so I recently had a conversation with Dimitri Berkhanen, who's the team leader for sustainability at the European Consumer Organization in Brussels, or BEO. In May 2019, Bayouk issued a report entitled Making Electric Cars Convenient. So clearly this is an important topic for them as well. All right, Dimitri, All right. and where are you calling in from today? From uh, from Brussels, from my home, uh, right. teleworking. So in the interest uh, of hearing as much from Dimitri as possible, we're going to dive right in. I'm Dimitri. I'm working for uh, Bayouk, so the European Consumer Organization, which if I need to describe it in a few words, is a bit the consumer embassy to the European institutions in Brussels. So we are uh, the umbrella organization of a network of more than 40 consumer organizations across Europe. And our role is to bring their voice to Brussels uh, for lobbying and advocacy purposes. In the past few years, uh, I've been working a lot, increasingly actually, on how to make the transition to electric cars more convenient for consumers. Fantastic. Um, That's critical work. I mean, absolutely. You know, without consumers, without people actually driving, then there will be no uh, electric mobility ecosystem. But quickly, how do you get the voices and perspectives of consumers and users, you know, from throughout Europe? How do you get that, gather that information and those perspectives that you then share in, with policymakers in Brussels? So the first source is obviously our membership, big consumer organization, which primary purpose is really to in relations with consumers, gather their interests, represent them, inform them also about products, compare products, and that's the main source of information. So we are acting on behalf of our members and we transfer their message in a policy way to the European institutions. And your members then are so national consumer rights organizations in the various member states, is that it? Exactly. So electric mobility, the topic that brings us together, yeah? You know, I often get the question, why Why do you care about electric mobility? Is it really something that consumers are interested into? And uh, we've been looking into this, of course, before taking any position. And what we found out is that first, electrification makes a lot of sense in terms of savings for consumers. If you take, I'm sure you're familiar with that, if you take the total cost of ownership approach, after a few years of ownership, you have a higher return on investments because electric cars are much less difficult to maintain. Uh, they cost much less in uh, refueling, of course. 
they make sense for, uh, for consumers. And then there are the clear co-benefits. Consumers are also citizens who are interested in protecting their environments. You see it's a growing concern all across Europe. The thing now is, so it's all very promising. We know this is a good option. The market is taking off. We've seen in the past few years that car makers are making uh, an increasing number of models available on the yes. market, uh, which was not the case two, three years ago, you know. So now our mission and the mission of our member is to make sure that all conditions are met to make sure that these cars are convenient and easy to use mm -hmm. for, for consumers. Making electric cars and recharging convenient, it sounds like such a simple concept. Is it really so hard to do that they had to issue a whole report on it? It was about a year and a half ago. This report came out at a moment where we were closing a cycle of negotiation on the next wave of CO2 reduction targets for the car industry, you know, the one for 2025 and 2030. So we had a successful negotiation, quite ambitious targets, which will be reopened, by the way, very soon, but quite good targets, which we know will deliver in terms of uh, making electric cars more available to consumers. So in parallel to that, we said, okay, what is the situation right now? What if everyday consumers, you know, not the tech, uh, the, the, the pioneers, the, the, pioneer, the first yeah, mover, the first adopters, what if you are a mother or my father who yeah. does care about technology, who has yeah. an iPhone? doesn't really, you know, use it. Or, I'm still trying to convince my mother-in-law to, uh, you know, switch to an electric. She's been in them three times already, but she herself is very, very, very anxious about, you know, doing so. And she's driven her whole driving life in a combustion engine vehicle. Exactly. So what do we need for these people to be reassured and to be sure that, okay, you know, if I switch to an electric car tomorrow, I will fulfill my mobility needs the same way I do with my combustion engine. Maybe with a few tweaks, you know, you don't need to absolutely use it the exact same way. Okay. But let's say that the primary purpose is that it should be super easy to use. And the thing is gathering info from our membership, but also from, you know, I guess, spend some time on forums, on uh, internet internet, etc., mm -hmm. looking for uh, what are the reactions from users. So even among the first movers, the pioneers, as, uh, as you said, there are some complaints. You know, the things that we listed under our report that you uh, just mentioned mm. were among the first thing that pop up, even among those pioneers. You know, basically, it's not rocket science. You know, when you, when <laughs> you, you know, it's I, just hard I, to do some of them, not all. Yeah, yeah, some I, of them I, are I, easy to do and should be, but some of them are hard to do, even though the ideas are clear. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I'm not saying it's easy, but yeah. compared to, for instance, podcasts I've heard from you, you know, on real projections, data analysis, etc., all requests as the consumer organizations are quite basic. You know, Bayek has also looked into charging infrastructure needs and the habits and psychologies of drivers, you know, with an eye towards how to design an ecosystem for mass uptake. However, these proposals, while maybe very consumer centric, are not always so convenient or easy to do for the companies which would need to implement them. And so here we see a few things differently. First, the access to charging infrastructure, the fact that you should have more normal power recharging at home, in front of your home, if you no, don't have access to off-street parking or at your workplace. The fact that if you want to move across border, but even within the country, you will find fast and ultra fast charging stations along the highway, mm -hmm. but it's also uh, along secondary roads, you mm -hmm. know, which are very uh, much used. And I'd say, you know, where it doesn't, still doesn't make sense from a business perspective, because there is not enough utilization, that's where public authorities should kick in. 
you know mm-hmm. people just look at these places when mm-hmm. they think you know they don't think about their daily use they think about the extreme cases when they drive <laughs> yes if i go to visit uh, my uncle in the countryside where should i you know even if that's maybe once every two years you know that's the kind of thinking you have to have in terms of rollout of a charging infrastructure I, you're completely right. We experience this all the time. I mean, the psychology of people that this car must be the car for all of my needs, not even just like my urban car. Although, look, this is changing as, you know, the range gets much bigger. Uh, but yeah, it's this psychological barrier that people have. If this car is not able to be refueled everywhere and be my car for everything, then it's not the vehicle that I can consider having. And by the way, I'm not saying that always right. I don't think the the race to uh, more autonomy is the way forward for every car. You know, if you mm-hmm. want to maintain costs at a reasonable level, you know, for instance, in a two cars uh, family, mm-hmm. you could well imagine that people would switch to a second hand electric car for the daily purposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. We need much more of this charging infrastructure and hopefully we're going there. You know, you have this green uh, recovery plan, which is going to be announced. What we're saying, and that brings to maybe the most controversial points between, uh, between <laughs> us, is that if public authorities play a big role, a steering role in uh, rolling out this infrastructure, it should be well-made, meaning it should be really consumer-centric, which I'm sure you will agree to. But the same should apply, in my opinion, for how the charging infrastructure should be designed. You you shouldn't design it for people who have smartphones, who uh, are super digital natives, they see everything on their screen, they're tech enthusiasts. You should design it for people, especially in an aging society such as ours, who don't care about the technology, are not so fond about smartphones, maybe even wish to be disconnected so they don't want to look at their smartphone or even have a smartphone. No, these are the guys who you should make sure that your charging infrastructure is uh, able to service. The AFID is such a significant piece of legislation for e-mobility with so many implications for the users of the charging infrastructure of so-called alternative fuels that its revision is also on the radar of Bayo. Technology shouldn't matter. Uh, it's not about different EV technologies. It's about you know, like choosing an electric car shouldn't be hassle compared to choosing a combustion engine. It shouldn't be a, a consumer mission to understand how everything is working to move to a more sustainable option. That's something that we're always saying the most sustainable option should become the most convenient and most affordable one as well. You talk also about the revision of the alternative fuels infrastructure directives. So let's say the, the centerpiece legislation that describes how the rollout and the deployment of you know so-called alternative fuels infrastructure, which includes e-mobility charging stations, should be around Europe. And so you had some thoughts on this report. Look, I, I feel like I've been responding to public consultation on this directive for the past two years. You know, <laughs> consultation after consultation after consultation, uh, written, oral you know discussion so the it's, policy it's, process <laughs> yeah it's, it shows there is a uh, interest in yeah. this field so this text is really important for two main reasons i would say first because it defines general objectives in terms of rollout of charging infrastructure so the current text because there it's already a law which is going to be revised or reopened as you said define a number of charging stations per country that every country should aim at rolling out unfortunately these objectives were 
unbinding. This means that they were there just indicative. That should be the ideal number of charging stations to be installed, but uh, no one committed to that per law. We right. hope to change this and to make these objectives binding in the upcoming uh, law. And you think this would be really important if you want to create a Europe that people can truly drive electric from one end to the other in, that these some harmonization and some, some clarity about, and let's say, even deployment so that there's no big gaps in the market and on the roads would be necessary to create this space. And so you're saying that revising the effort in order to do that is critical. Absolutely. And that brings me to the second point, which is the technical characteristics of the charging infrastructure. So it's not only about the amount or the quantity of charging points. It's also about how they work. How do you communicate prices to people? What are the plug standards, which is not so much an issue anymore, but uh, it was five years ago. Yeah, sure. How do you pay? at the charging stations. Mm, well, let's Another talk about one. that. Well, let's get, get to that. <laughs> and that really brings me to the, the points on tariff transparency, payment methods, and maintenance. So are you suggesting that there should be a, let's say, a sign or a sticker on every public charging station, regardless of how much power is there, which is explaining the pricing? A, a sign, a, a display, you mean? Yeah, some visualization or how how does this price transparency take place? Because look, in the industry right now, yeah, everyone knows who listens to this podcast. You know, I work for a charging point operator and e-mobility service provider. So I guess we're coming from different perspectives on this topic, representing different perspectives at least, but I think wanting a similar objective, you know, so... Are you suggesting there should be a static visualization every, at every charging station? Because right now in the industry, it's quite standard that there should be price transparency. It should be in as real time as possible. But these are usually taking place on mobile applications because in some cases, price is changing at different times. And also, again, because there can be one charging station in some location. It's not like a petrol station. There's sometimes there could be a single charging station at a rest stop somewhere or attached to a restaurant that's, let's say, not regularly visited by someone. And if the price changes frequently, that would not be very practical to do. So yeah, what are you actually proposing? So I'm not sure it should be, there should be a display on every and each charging station. But I think, for instance, on along highways, on charging hubs, the same logic should apply as for um, petrol and diesel stations, meaning you should have a display announcing you the price, especially for fast and ultra fast charging stations, where there is really a price component, which is quite important and uh, huge differences at the moment between different price so you know obviously i'm not uh, designing charging stations you know but a display with a few digits explaining you the price of in a kilowatt hour uh, mm. would be not a super difficult thing to do you know there's no need to make a very fancy thing but a very simple display of the price with a few digits mm. would sound to me like something you can update from your central uh, you know yeah. look if it's updatable from you know from the back office then that would be super i would say not all normal powered charging stations like ac units have a visual display on them a space for visual display but that's certainly something to consider you know i have understanding for the fact that already quite a significant number of charging stations have been rolled out and i'm mm -hmm. not asking you to to update all of them you know but since our efforts in terms of investment will be significantly scaled up in the next few years. Let's make sure we get these infrastructures right from the beginning, from a consumer perspective. Yeah, look, I think from a consumer perspective, it makes sense that there is a visual display. 
you know, again, right now the industry standard is to use these apps and and that's working very well. But look, I take your point and I'm sure it's true as well that there are people who will be driving EVs. We certainly hope as it becomes a mass market product who are not also using their smartphones. It will probably add some cost to the technology. The unit will become a little bit bigger, at least, you know, on the front plate, you know, the LCD screen or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's part, I guess, about finding the right compromise so that it's both as consumer centric as possible, as user friendly as possible while also keeping the pricing reasonable. One of the most sensitive topics, especially between consumer groups and charging service providers, is about how drivers are informed about specifically what they are paying for, what it costs, and what payment methods are available to them. Dimitri and I don't shy away from this discussion either. You know, there are many ways to pay at the charging stations, Indeed there are. Uh, but there are so many ways that we have also many users' complaints about this. How do you pay? Can I pay with uh, normal payment methods? And is the price, do I understand anything about the price? You know, what I'm going to be charged at the end. So it brings us back to the display, but it's more than just a display. It's also about the structure of the pricing. I'm sure you will tell me, look, we have great solutions with this RFID cards, uh, which gives you access to a broader network because we have roaming agreements with other EMP CPOs. And we're working hard as business operators that our clients have access to broadest possible basis, right? Mm -hmm. That's what people tell me. I mean, that's certainly a true statement and one of the things that we do, yes. <laughs> uh, what I'm answering to this is it's all very fine and I hope you will succeed, frankly. And I have no doubt, actually, that 10 years from now, if these problems haven't been solved, it will mean that the market haven't taken off. Sure, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But what I'm worried about is the next three to five years, you know? Mm -hmm. You're moving from a niche market with the tech enthusiasts that we were uh, mentioning before to the mass market, you know, people who will just choose, oh yeah, let's go for an electric car. I could have gone for a diesel or petrol one, but I'm concerned about the environment. I want to make savings, so let's go for an electric car. It's but so I... easy to do anyway, I'm just going electric. Exactly. Yeah, sure. And for these guys, I think if you start to explain, okay, so at the first charging station, you will need to scan a QR code. At the second charging station, you can pay by debit card, you know, it's fine. At the third one, ah, too bad, you know, there is no QR code nor uh, ad hoc access uh, you should have the, the card which gives you access to this particular network. If I tell that to my father again, uh, hmm. he'll tell me, you know what, I'm going to wait a few years until you guys get your things together. Mm -hmm. That's why we're saying that in this transition period and maybe for the future, if your efforts uh, don't pay off, we should have access, we should give uh, access to normal payments or everyday payment methods, meaning debit cards. It's not super difficult to put a debit card. Down. I've but it's a cost issue. I mean, especially again on a normal powered charge station which might cost you know 1,000 euros or half that if you suddenly add a credit card reader to it that adds a, a few hundred more euros to the unit and then the other thing would be data security you know the risk of a breach to that so, terminal I mean those would be our two biggest concerns first the cost if we do a parallel with what we've seen in food distributors no mm -hmm. all food distributors in Europe now are uh, equipped with a uh, not all and... but many of them are equipped with a debit card terminal mm -hmm. and I'm not sure the turnover is so huge, you know, in some of them at least, that uh, it, it becomes uninteresting. So I've discussed this 
with some manufacturer of charging points mm -hmm. told me, yeah, that could be integrated for a reasonable price and it wouldn't add up so much price to a charging infrastructure, you know, that's their opinion. Right. Plus for designing a charging station, which hopefully will last for more than a year, two years, but more like mm -hmm. five, 10 years, maybe. Yeah, so yeah, sure. maybe the return on investment will be there, you know, in terms of also mm -hmm. broader. Okay, there was built in, that's a bit of a different story. Although again, you still, you have a greater cost, but okay. Um, but it's certainly safer. And the data security aspect, I would talk to my colleagues in charge of cybersecurity and, and digital uh, at Beok. Yeah. But what they tell me is, look, you have more chances to being hacked on an app. And they do this kind of test all the time. You know? mm -hmm. It's much more unsafe to pay via a lot of digital solutions than with your debit card, you know, like at any uh, mm -hmm. charging station. Not saying there is no absolutely no risk. It's not unsafer. Right, right. Right. There are both there are risks in both directions. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we're not going to solve this right here on the phone. We're just raising the issues and discussing them. I guess it's important to balance that the more different solutions there are, also mean there are going to be more costs to the consumer. So on one hand, there needs to be, let's say, obviously like a consumer-centric approach at the physical location, at the at the terminal, at the charging station. But the more different options there are, that means the more back-end systems and the more, say, suppliers that the operators need to have as well, which means there's more costs overall to managing the network. So, you know, if we keep a limited number of payment options, that will also limit the number of costs and then therefore the cost to the consumer. For me, it's more a safety net, you mm -hmm. know, like so So for daily uses, even for people who are not digital natives, you will have this card from your provider, which will be usable for your daily needs. And if you, you do a random trip, which is unusual to a place you don't know, to a foreign country, and for some reason, and you can't pay with your normal card because your provider doesn't have an agreement or the yeah. charging infrastructure was done in a, you know, a few years ago and it wasn't forcing for this. Smart, yeah. Mm -hmm. Then that's where debit card is, okay, you have a safety net and you, you can pay with something else. One part of the pricing debate is do consumers know what they're actually paying for? And also, at the same time, what flexibility do different businesses have to set and structure pricing to meet their own needs? And of course, how to balance these sometimes competing interests. I don't know what's uh, Greenway policy on this, but how you communicate prices, session fee or uh, price per kilowatt hour. Well, we charge, charge per kilowatt hour. Okay, that's good. Yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah. That's that's really something we're saying will bring a lot of transparency to users. Even mm -hmm. you can factor in whatever you you want. You know, it's not yeah. price it's for, uh, Yeah, there's a price for the first 180 minutes or 45 minutes, depending on the power you're using. And then there is a small tariff above that. But again, that's also to encourage turnover so that there's not queuing and things like that. Or people leaving their vehicle at the charging station for really extended periods of time. No, no, that's important because we have this study from our Austrian member, Akavin for instance huh? they looked at the charging points in austria they analyzed more than 4,000 charging stations in austria their conclusion was you can't understand anything at the prices you know for some of them yes but for the same service you can be charged between one and two or three times more for the exact same power you know mm. This problem of price transparency is really something uh, that might be uh, also a hurdle for people. Yeah. For, uh, no, look, I can agree completely. One thing important to acknowledge, though, is definitely one direction that the industry is going is that there are some private partners who, you know, let's say, a restaurant or a hotel or even a workplace that hosts a charging station can now have the ability to set their own pricing for it. And so you could have, let's say, restaurant A on one side of the street, restaurant B on another. They're offering the exact 
exact same service, but they are choosing different, let's say, pricing models. One wants to profit from it as a profit center for the restaurant, and the other is offering it as a complete service to their client, to their guests. Mm. This is entirely possible. This it's, is our revenue model in the industry. Of course. I should say to be aware of it, and then how does it get communicated? Right now, the answer is through the application. Yeah, uh, no, you're right. Yeah. You're right, and that will be also an issue in, like, in this famous distinction and impossible to do distinction between publicly accessible and private infrastructure. <laughs> Another, this is going to be it's a whole other podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's a difficult one. So let's talk about, you know, interoperability and roaming agreements. It is obviously a challenge, and but it's also a real thing. You know, there are different operators who operate their own networks of charging infrastructure in different yeah. countries and even within countries. We do not all have agreements with each other. So it is true that it's possible for, let's say, a Greenway cardholder to go drive all through Europe and charge on every charging station because Greenway does not have relationships with every other company. We have many relationships, but not all. And so the user needs to, if they want to say, use their Greenway charge card and be billed through their Greenway invoice, they need to find the ones that we have relationships with. So the system is a bit fragmented. It is clear that this is not the most the seamless thing for users, but it is what it is. And so what do you, you know, think about that? You know, when I started discussing roaming with my members, the first reactions were get rid of roaming, you know, because roaming, it's a bit uh, of a word which is taboo for consumers for good reasons, you know, like roaming fees, it brings you back to the extreme prices you were paying when you were using your cell phone in another country. Totally. And that was one of the main fights organization and our membership uh, fought in the past uh, mm -hmm. decade, you know. So, you know, the first reflex from a consumer organization is, oh, roaming. I don't want to hear that. Then, you know, like knowing a bit the sector, I'm explaining, look, it's, it's a way to make the infrastructure more interoperable. So we shouldn't be against roaming. It's a solution, technological solution to make the system more interoperable. What is needed is to make sure that the roaming fees, so the fees you're uh, charging to your uh, competitor or other yeah. pro mm -hmm. provider are not out of control. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't become a business to make uh, huge uh, roaming fees, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm saying about roaming to keep prices under control, uh, roaming fees under control. And second thing, for the situation you just described, the case where Greenway doesn't have an agreement with another provider in another country, that's where debit card kicks in, you know? Mm -hmm. And okay, you know, like I'm not stuck. I have a solution to charge. And finally, signs and wayfinding. While mobile apps are still the most common way for to find chargers, they're the industry standard, as it were. Should there be signs on the roads and highways or even in parking lots pointing out where EV chargers are? There's pros and cons to these approaches. It's very simple and very basic. Sometimes you see a charging station, but it's at the other end of a fuel station between two trucks without any light, without any roof in case of, uh, of rain. So the basic point is it should be clear with clear signs where you find the infrastructure. It should instill a sense of safety, you know, like not put you at the dark end of petrol station, but, you know, like as prominent as uh, mm -hmm. fuel pumps it should be protected from rain. It should be made just easy and convenient to use for everyone. Yeah. I mean, look, I agree completely. We see this as a challenge as well. Unfortunately, you know, some of the private landowners don't want another sign or they don't want an e-mobility sign. And also when it's on public property, sometimes the municipalities, I mean, on the highways or the major roadways, yeah. we would love to have a sign saying next exit is EV charging. And that's an official sign from the yeah. government and they're not necessarily, it doesn't I'm exist sure, or they're I'm not sure willing to give change. it. Yeah. 
it will change. All our recommendations are not addressed to you, obviously. Huh? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't take it personally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on behalf of the industry here, trying to share these uh, perspectives. But that's something we need to uh, to work on, definitely. Super, Dimitri. Well, thank you very, very much. This has been great. Great, thanks. Yeah. Do you have any final words, any final comments you want to leave our uh, leave our listeners with? I hope that if we have this conversation one year from now, two years from now, or even three years from now, all the issues we've been discussing today mm -hmm. will have been solved and we won't fight around interoperability uh, like <laughs> or access per debit card. You know, hopefully yeah. that be my wish for the future. Well, that was our show for today. Thanks for listening. Over the summer, we're going to continue to dive deep into the discussion and perspectives around AFID and policy measures being debated in Brussels because they really have such a significant potential to accelerate or provide roadblocks to the EV charging ecosystem development. And so we want to educate people about them and really why they matter. I spent last weekend with some of my wife's extended family in the Czech Republic, and I heard many of the familiar myths and fears and uncertainties about electric vehicle driving that I'm used to hearing, like range anxiety or how much charging costs and how few chargers there are, or at least how few that they think there are. And, you know, it was a fresh reminder that even as EV driving becomes slowly more mainstream, many people are still unfamiliar with it, which means that we need to keep raising awareness and educating them, and also that we need to design a system with users at the center of it, which is why Dimitri's views are so helpful. When my mother-in-law is comfortably driving an electric vehicle on her own without me in the car, we'll know we're making real progress. So please help spread the word and evangelize. You can easily share this podcast. We're on all the podcast platforms, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, you name it. Would love it if you would mind taking three minutes right now to leave us a rating and review, ideally on iTunes, but really any platform that you listen to this podcast on will be great. It really helps other people find us and learn about this topic. I want to thank Dimitri from his time, and I also really want to thank our great producer, Katarina urban for making this episode sound so good. Hope you're safe and healthy wherever you are, and you're able to travel, even if it's within your own country, and you know, wearing the appropriate masks and uh, following the appropriate social distancing protocols to keep you and everyone else around you safe and healthy. And so with that in mind, wishing you a happy and safe electric kilometers, and we'll be back another episode later in the summer. I'm expecting you, know, you to challenge me. Yeah, I'm, good, uh, good. Looking forward to this. Yeah, in one moment, not quite yet. Not quite yet. Uh -huh, there we are, wrong button. It, it started. Right. Uh, so look, I can agree completely that transparency is a, <laughs> price transparency is essential. Yeah, there's something for the blooper reel.